the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. January 28th, 2021. Have we not agitated and tortured our children quite enough? This was the question I was raising yesterday. Having read, there is now a Netflix special aimed at toddlers in preschool produced by the radical racialist Dr. Ibram Kendi. In Kendi's book version, Anti-Racist Baby, toddlers are encouraged to, among other things, shout, there's nothing wrong with the people. Celebrate our differences. Knock down the stack of cultural blocks. Confess when being a racist. Grow to be an anti-racist. Believe we shall overcome racism. Toddlers. Three and four-year-olds. Now, the first thing that comes to mind is why would a child need to be taught anti-racism in the first place? Are children naturally born thinking in terms of race? Or rather, are efforts like this geared toward getting them to think in terms of race? If anyone needs help here, the answer is it's the second. Children are, in point of fact, not born thinking people of color are better or worse As Rogers and Hammerstein instructed many years ago, you've got to be taught before it's too late, before you are six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate. You've got to be carefully taught. You have to be taught to hate. I learned of this project right after I learned of the BLM curriculum taking place in schools beginning next week. For example, the Ames, Iowa Community School District is deploying a 13-point curriculum for its students. Among those 13 points, quote, we are committed to dismantling the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts, that require them to mother in private even as they participate in justice work, close quote. Another, black villages, we are committed to disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other's extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, and especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Notice no use of the word fathers. Another, unapologetically black. We We are unapologetically black in our positioning and affirming that black lives matter. We need not qualify our position. Close quote. In reverse, note that last one, we need not qualify our position. No discussion, no debate, no question as to if any of this is good pedagogy, much less good political practice or philosophy. It is a mandated or coerced article of faith that must be confessed. No need to qualify this position, peremptorily cutting off all debate, including, quote, debate about disrupting of the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Why debate the good or import of a two-parent family? It must be disrupted. Why? And why in the name of black lives mattering? Is less two-parent families a good thing for black lives or any lives? Only if one is a Marxist, divorced from all reality, where the worse things are, the better they are, for revolutionary purposes. 
This is not an exaggeration. According to the latest census report, 60% of black children, 31.2% of Hispanic children, and 21% of white children are living absent their fathers. I've seen numbers even higher than all those. It was just under 25% for black Americans when Daniel Moynihan wrote his now famous report in 1965. Just under 25% to now 60%. Let me quote from Isabel Sawhill of the Brookings Institution, if I might. Brookings being a left-of-center think tank, the equivalent of the Heritage Foundation on the left, just so I won't be accused of sifting the message through a right-wing or conservative set of talking points. And you tell me if the very first and most blaring thing, never mind the other nonsense the BLM movement stands for, has any relationship at all with helping black lives. Quoting from Brookings, quote, there is a wealth of research that marriage is good for children. Those who live with their biological parents do better in school and are less likely to get pregnant or arrested. They have lower rates of suicide, achieve higher levels of education, and earn more as adults. Meanwhile, children who spend time in single-parent families are more likely to misbehave, get sick, drop out of high school, and be unemployed. Children raised by single mothers are more likely to fare worse on a number of dimensions, including their school achievement, their social and emotional development, their health and their success in the labor market. They are at a greater risk of parental abuse and neglect, more likely to become teen parents, and less likely to graduate from high school or college. Close quote. Yes, that's exactly what we need more of in all our communities. Never mind the black community, isn't it? First came to the attention of this issue seriously when I read a landmark piece by Irving Kristol in 1994 titled Life Without Father. There he wrote, quote, One of the incontestable findings of modern social science is that fathers are very important people. I confess to having been astonished to discover just how important, important in all sorts of unexpected ways. Thus, it turns out that almost two-thirds of rapists, three-quarters of adolescent murderers, and the same percentage of long-term prison inmates are young males who grew up without fathers in the house. I doubt that many fathers have understood that their mission in life had to do with anything like the prevention of rape, murder, or long-term imprisonment among their sons but it does. You see, it's not about black lives or any lives, really, for the BLM organizations and pedagogical works and curriculum. It's about dismantling the system, a phrase you hear often in socialist circles and from socialist members of of Congress. We could name them. Joe Biden has his own take on it, transforming America. Of course, this is all part of the destruction, should I say dismantling, devised by Marxist revolutionaries long ago. I do not exaggerate. In the Communist Manifesto, Karl Marx goes right into this, writing, quote, On what foundation is the present family, the bourgeois family, based? On capital, on private gain. In its completely developed form, the family exists only among the bourgeois, close quote. Frederick Engels himself, Karl Marx's co-author, wrote his own book, a whole book on the need for the dismantling of the family. Ibram Kendi himself has written that you cannot be an anti-racist and a capitalist. Thus, the Marxist notion that capitalism needing to be dismantled is based on the foundation of the nuclear family, which must be destroyed. 
I didn't say anything about the first point from the school curriculum, dismantling the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts, because there is nowhere in America a requirement of any kind that mothers work double shifts. I will say, however, that if the two-parent family weren't abolished and fathers had jobs or one of the parents had a job, it can be the mom, of course, no double shifts by one parent would be necessitated. But that's Marxism for you. Remove the organ and demand the function, even when it makes no sense. Now, lest I be accused of thinking too racially and pointing any of this out, that is the idea of a two-parent family is the product of white think. Allow me to play a little bit from another speech. Of all the rocks upon which we build our lives, we are most dependent on the family. The family is that most important foundation. And we are called to recognize and honor how critical every father is to that foundation. They are teachers and coaches, they're mentors and they're role models. They are examples of success and the men who constantly push us towards success. But if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that too many fathers are also missing. Too many fathers are MIA. Too many fathers are AWOL. Missing from too many lives and too many homes. They've abandoned their responsibilities. They're acting like boys instead of men. And the foundations of our family have suffered because of it. You and I know this is true everywhere, but nowhere is it more true than in the African-American community. We know that more than half of all black children live in single-parent households. Half, a number that's doubled since we were children. We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They're more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from home or become teen parents because the father wasn't in the home. The foundations of our community and our country are weaker because of this. Well, that was Barack Obama, hopefully not someone who also could be accused of white think. So what are we doing to our children from toddlers to teens, from toddlers being instructed in complex race theory to Teen Vogue promoting the virtues of communism to the Cartoon Network promoting the virtues of transgenderism? Plato, in his Republic, put it this way, quote, Shall we just carelessly allow children to hear any casual tales which may be devised by casual persons and to receive into their minds ideas for the most part the very opposite of those which we should wish them to have when they are grown up? Of course not. Anything received into the mind at that age is likely to become indelible and unalterable. And therefore it is most important that the tales which the young first hear should be models of virtuous thought. Then will our youth dwell in a land of health, amid fair sights and sounds, and receive the good in everything and beauty. The effluence of fair works shall flow into the eye and ear like a health-giving breeze from a purer region, 
and indelibly draw the soul from the earliest years into likeness and sympathy with the beauty of reason. There is no nobler training than that. Close quote. Now, when you think about that noble training, <clears throat> I think it's worth pointing out that we actually need to be taught that ourselves. I think I know why we need to be instructed in this, and it goes back to a quote by Roger Scruton. All the best things we have, when abused, will cause bad things to happen. You can plant into a child good as much as you can implant bad. You can implant the beauty of reason, and you can implant the ugliness of terrible passion. <clears throat> when Allen Ginsberg visited Norman Podhoritz, trying to convert him to his leftist countercultural point of view, and Norman was having none of it, Allen departed saying, We'll get you through your children. Somehow I think the left understands all this better than we do. Leo Strauss wrote that liberal education is liberation from vulgarity. The Greeks had a beautiful word for vulgarity. They called it apericolia, lack of experience in things beautiful. Liberal education supplies us with experience in things beautiful, he wrote in the 1950s that what we're doing now? Or are we training in the experience of things ugly? I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Bill, did you do your run today? Me too. Good. So you're in a good mood. We both went running today. Was it cold? What time did you go? Oh, okay. It was a little warmer then. I went earlier. I had a busy morning. In any event, uh, anyone here know Brentwood, Los Angeles area? Brentwood, it's a very tony, expensive part of Los Angeles. Not quite Beverly Hills, but just about. And um, here's a notice from the um, Brentwood Public Schools. To parents and families, dialogue sessions, quote, the following sessions are for current and former Brentwood School parents and families. All times shown are Pacific Standard. Please select which session you plan to attend. You can leave this section blank if you are not a parent or guardian. Thursday, January 28th, 6 to 7 p.m., this is an option, black parents and families. 6 to 7 p.m., White parents and families. Wednesday, February 3rd, Hispanic and Latinx parents and families, or Latinx, I'm not sure how you say it. Titania McGrath has the best take on this. You follow Titania McGrath on Twitter, it's a fictional account of a comedian. Congratulations to Brentwood School for implementing these progressive racial policies. Can you please also ensure that the same apply to your cafeteria, school buses, and drinking fountains? How is this wrong? How is this wrong? Dialogue sessions, you can pick the one for black parents and families or the one for white parents and families. How, how is it any different than separate but equal cafeteria, school buses, and drinking fountains? It's not. It's not different. They just don't see it. They just refuse to see it. 
They refuse to see how they are resegregating us. They refuse to see how they are re-racializing us. In the name of equity, race preferences are coming back. Michael Barone writes about this in the Washington Examiner, talking about what Susan Rice said yesterday at the White House, part of what I gave a monologue on yesterday as well. She uses the term equity 19 times in her remarks. Michael Barone writes, for Rice and Biden, equity requires not a quality of opportunity but of result. That's one of the tenets of the critical race theory training that Trump's administration banned and Biden's administration reinstated on day one. A lower than pa. A lower than population percentage of blacks in any desirable category explains critical race theorist Ibram Kendi must be the result of systemic racism. It's the only explanation for it. A term Rice used twice and Biden five times. If you don't agree, you're guilty of white fragility and must be a supremacist. Andrew Sullivan writes, to achieve equity, you first have to take away equality for individuals who were born in the wrong identity group. Equity means treating individuals unequally so that groups are equal. This is exactly contrary to the central thrust of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. It's also exactly contrary to the 14th Amendment. It could easily be judged in particular cases to violate both. Individuals discriminated against might have standing to go to court in the name of equity, And there will surely be many such individuals. Rice made clear that the policies mentioned Tuesday are just a start. Every agency, she said, quote, will place equity at the core of their public engagement, their policy design and program delivery to ensure that government resources are reaching Americans of color and all marginalized communities, rural, urban LGBTQ+, religious, and so many others, close quote. That's a lot of preferred categories. But one suspects that in his, uh, uh, that as in Orwell's Animal Farm, some preferred groups will be more preferred than others. What we're being promised is racial quotas and preferences in every conceivable program in every possible corner of public life. Equal rights are the ground of our freedom. Equity is something else entirely. Posited as a goal, it is a rationale for unequal treatment. Never to be achieved, it remains permanently on the horizon. Fourteenth Amendment worth rereading, folks. Much worth rereading. Doesn't speak of group rights. Talks about individual rights. Personal rights. Five times. Five times. Never does it talk about it. Group rights. I'm Seth. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. This is uh, from the files of Disgusting. You heard us talking yesterday with John Dombrowski about uh, the manipulation of the stock market situation that was going on with shorts and long options yesterday. And uh, today, as I understand it, several um, several entities that uh, like TD America, TD Ameritrade, and Charles Schwab that allow you to trade stocks and Robinhood, 
They blocked regular investors from purchasing stocks, but let hedge funds continue to. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweets out this morning, this is unacceptable. We now need to know more about Robinhood App's decision to block retail investors from purchasing stock while hedge funds are freely able to trade the stock as they see fit. Ted Cruz replied, fully agree. There's a moment of unity, I suppose, you could find. Ted Cruz agreeing with AOC on investigating how organizations like Robinhood, TD TD Ameritrade, bar, you know, normal average people from day trading or buying a certain stock but not hedge funds. So he writes, totally agree to her. That's it. That's all he wrote. Totally agree. Well, she wrote back. Quote, I'm happy to work with Republicans on this issue where there's common ground. But you almost had me murdered three weeks ago. So you can sit this one out. Happy to work with almost any other GOP that aren't trying to get me killed. In the meantime, if you want to help, you can resign. I'll read that again. Ted Cruz offers to help AOC on something Republicans and Democrats might agree on. And she writes back, quote, I'm happy to work with Republicans on this issue where there's common ground, but you almost had me murdered three weeks ago, so you can sit this one out. Happy to work with almost any other GOP that aren't trying to get me killed. In the meantime, if you want to help, you can resign. It's totally disturbed. It's totally disturbing and disturbed. It's the sign of a disturbed brain that someone would write that publicly, much less think it. Ted Cruz tried to get Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez killed. Honestly, really. How you can take anything she says seriously after she writes that. She is so unbelievably over the top that the top doesn't even recognize where she is anymore. Ted Cruz tried to get her killed. She will not work with Ted Cruz. Do you think Steve Scalise ever wrote to Bernie Sanders, I'm not going to work with you because you tried to get me killed when he actually did take a bullet? Of course he didn't. He would never think such a thing, which is why he would never say such a thing. It's just incredible revision. Incredible. Perfectly fine and happy to see the continued arrests that are taking place and those that they're looking for to arrest from the January 6th riot. Perfectly happy to see it. I support that. They should be arrested. All rioters should be arrested. But it is half the number of those who rioted and were arrested on Donald Trump's inauguration. I'm perfectly happy to see security measures take place to protect our public and political officials. But as they now have 12-foot fencing around the White House and Capitol, I don't want to hear from Democrats that fences don't matter and walls don't matter. They don't do anything and they're ineffective. Because all you have to do, you know, to get over a 12-foot fence is find a 13-foot ladder. Right? Right. 
602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson uh, Show, 602-508-0960. Aha! Look who's on the line. Contributing to this show centripetally is our good friend, Lewis Hallman. Hi, Lewis. Seth, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, significantly better. Sorry, good. I, I know you were a little under Tuesday. the weather, so it's good to hear that you're in finer fettle. Yes. Uh, so the reason I was calling is uh, not due to COVID, actually, but to what was actually, to me, one of the most entertaining stories I've seen in a very, very long time. Talk to us. Have you been following what has been going on in the stock market, specifically with GameStop? Yeah, so a little bit yesterday we talked about it uh, with um, with John Dombrowski, and I spoke a little bit about it earlier today with Ted Cruz and AOC uh, going at each other. But you tell us your perspective. I bet it's an interesting one. Well, the amazing thing about it is that it's really the reaction to what's going on. So, so effectively what we have here is a stock that is for GameStop, a company that sells physical copies of video games and has not been doing well really for years. And so to take advantage of the fact that it's not doing well and not expected to do well, large institutional investors, specifically hedge funds and others, have been shorting the stock. Right. What that means is they have been borrowing shares from other people and selling those borrowed shares, which means uh, that they will then make money if those shares go down because they can then buy those shares to repay the ones that they've borrowed later. Right. right. It's a bet so, that the stock will fall, basically. Right. Exactly. But what's interesting about that bet is that it actually is a really risky gamble of the type that most people can't take because it exposes you to unlimited loss, right? right? Right. As long as the stock goes up, you keep losing money. Right. And so what's been going on is that we have had, uh, basically, the market had to be halted in, in, in trading as people continue to drive the price up. What these retail investors are doing is that they are basically going through and they are buying and holding as much of the stock as they can because it will force the institutional investors to then try to outbid one another to cover their losses right. on these shorts, right. driving to cover the their price position. up further exactly. and further. Right, yes. But what's, what's very interesting now is that the media is starting to push very, very hard against all of these retail investors in favor of the big institutional ones. And by retail and, investor, basically individuals, day traders, people who use organizations like Schwab or TD Ameritrade. TD Ameritrade right, or even right. apps like Robinhood. Right, Robinhood. So what's interesting right. is that some of these brokers themselves are now even restricting the ability of these retail investors to trade. So as of today, for instance, you can sell, Robinhood but you can't buy, was, as I understand it. Right, you can only buy. You you, uh, you couldn't then uh, uh, buy the share. Right? You could only then offload so right. that the institutional right. investors could pick back up. Right. But what's going on right now, and it's fascinating, is we're seeing the media try to rile us up against all of these evil, scary people making awful bets with you know in, in the stock market, so that we can protect these poor innocent hedge funds that are then you know otherwise just trying to be the good guys here. It's fascinatingly cognitively dissonant because what's going on then is that we are basically trying to be incentivized to allow wall street to run roughshod over all of us and then not have to pay for it 
when their crazy, crazy bets that expose them to unlimited losses backfire on them. I think you know if I if I'm hearing your perspective the same way I was viewing it, and you'll you'll talk me into the right opinion if I have the wrong one, uh, because you would know more about it than I. But if I understand the way this is working right now, is we are saying the big guys, the man, uh, the heavily uh, endowed and and in uh, wealth and hedge funds, are now given more liberty to do what they want than the individual. Correct. And yes. the individual and also, is being punished against his or her will from engaging in the same kind of commerce that the big guys can engage in freely. Correct. And, and it's done by total fiat from yeah, done by total fiat from these private companies or corporations that are uh, established for really for the individual day trader more than anything. Schwab. Right, but Robin. But what's also going on, though, is that we're now being told, oh, all of these hedge funds, right, there's going, there's going to be ruining all of the people who've invested in right. these things, right. and that's going to, to, to shock on, you know, to, to other parts of the economy. However, the interesting thing about hedge funds is that you cannot actually invest in a hedge fund right. unless you are an institution or what is called a high net worth individual. You have to be invited into the club, so to speak. Exactly, which means that no one who is investing in these hedge funds, by definition, is the little guy. Right, right, right. That's right. And the little guy is being punished because it's stacked in favor of the big guy here. Main Street is, in fact, different than Wall Street right. on a situation Street like is, this. It's simply angry that Main Street has actually opened up a lot of its own toolbox and is starting to use the kinds of uh, right, right, right. Grotesque, quick In- investment strategies that the big guys use. use. Exactly, right. So Main mm-hmm. Street is trying to do that, or the individual is trying to do that, and they're being prevented from doing that. Should there be a law against Robin Hood doing this? Well, I, I would say there probably ought to be one against Robin Hood reaching in and restricting its, the ability of its uh, individual investors to trade like this. Yes, absolutely. Now, do you agree? Uh, well, this, what, go, what, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. They're ahead. talking about putting, you know, restricting the ability of people to discuss on on online. Yeah. You, like okay. You got the bridge punish. I was making. Yeah. Go with it. Go. That's exactly where I was right, going. Right. Go. What, what's, what's ludicrous about this, though, is that if they're looking to sit there and punish all of these institutional investors for quote-unquote colluding, you know, it, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. This is the most decentralized type of, of faddish behavior that I've ever seen. And this, you know, this happens all of the time in the institutional world because what they'll do is they'll use uh, algorithms to trade for them. In fact, most stock trades on the market today are done not with any human oversight whatsoever, but done algorithmically by these big market makers, these huge institutional investors. And now that systems have been changed, they are now put in a big, big disadvantage, and they are reeling, and they are going to lose billions. And all that this is about, really, is preventing Main Street, the little guy, from being able to go in and fight at them on a level playing field. Right. I agree with that exact assessment. Okay, I wasn't sure if you and I would see this the same exact way, um, and it turns out we do. Uh, you know how this works. i got to take a break. Can you do just a few more minutes on the other side and talk about how you would differentiate or not this issue with private uh, uh, social media services? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, great. Thanks for calling in. I didn't even ask, and this is what what a delight. I think this is how I got to know you in the first place. You just called in. 
And then we said, come in. That's why I said centripetal force. Plus, I'm teasing you about that. I'm Seth. We'll be right back with Lewis Hallman. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, Lewis Hallman is calling in, and I'm glad he did. So, Lewis, to to put it bluntly, I think close, if not fully accurately, um, what – uh, TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, Robin Hood have done is they have deplatformed individual investors uh, on right. uh, on trading in a certain stock, at least purchasing certain stocks today. And they have done it directly to benefit those institutional investors that would otherwise suffer as right. they try to unload their short. Right. Positions. If I competed against them, exactly, exactly. Right. In, a, in it's in, not even that. Yeah, it's not even that they're they're deplatforming their own people. I'm sorry, they're on retail investors. They're deplatforming them so that they can give those profits over to these massive right. Wall Street funds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is more grotesque, I would say. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It's not as if they deplatformed everyone who wanted to buy these stocks. They bought, they deplatformed a certain class of people who wanted to right. buy these stocks to protect another class of people from taking losses in uh, in, in the stock market. Now – Yep. It, it, to me, it's not it's it's not that much different from what what Twitter has done and is doing in deplatforming people, not based on financial incentives, but on ideological ones. Is the connection the same, or is it distinct? Hmm. That's uh, that's a really interesting thread. I actually hadn't considered it. I I don't know, frankly. Um, I mean, it's. I'm not sure what the what the profit incentive or the ideological one would look like from Robin Hood's perspective. It's not. It's probably not. No, no, no. Forget, forget. Yeah, no. Forget that point. But but the larger point is if 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 Robin Hood should be regulated to prevent playing this kind of favoritism, should not to Twitter. Hmm. I, I mean, I. I think that there there probably ought to be something. I'm I'm still really not sure where I stand with. Yeah, the, the no, I understand. I think half the audience or more is probably in your position on this. I was I'm going to ask you to think about it some more. Maybe we can pick up on it Tuesday, because yeah, <clears throat> it took I, I me a while to get topic. to where I am on it as well, and I'm in the belief that it now does need to be um, under the regulation because it is effectively. The, um, I think we need. Reg- I think we definitely do need some form of regulation. Yeah. But what form it would take, I can't possibly say. Yeah. I think that we really do need a new era of antitrust legislation. That's probably right. That's probably right. Listener says, uh, Mr. Hallman, is the media attacking the regular investors involved in the GameStop gambit? Great example. Absolutely, of how they, they yeah, are. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Hey, Lewis, thank you, and stay on the mend, and we'll see you next week. Uh, looking forward to it, Seth. Thank God you. God bless you. Thanks for calling in. Uh, this day, 35 years ago, a terrible tragedy and a hell of a speech about it. And we're going to talk to a person who wrote a really good article about it as well. Our friend Tevi Troy on the Challenger disaster and Ronald Reagan's response to it. I am Seth Liebson. Feel free to give us a call if you want. 602-508-0960. Be right back. <laughs> 